Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about why editing equals thinking. Mm. Yes. Oh, I want, I tell this story, Jonathan. I, I, like, I like this angle. Yeah, well, like many episodes of TBOA, this comes from a couple of different angles all happening at once in the last week. And I'm on sort of a listening tour, uh, interviewing mm-hmm. people who send daily emails or have sent daily emails or are thinking about sending daily emails. And I'm going to release that as a limited run podcast at some point in the future. So stay tuned. But that while that's going on, pretty much everybody so far, I've interviewed five people so far, and I think every single one has used the exact word crystallize in describing the benefits of having a daily list. So it's a little bit counterintuitive because you might think, well, the benefits of having a daily list are I'm going to grow an audience and get more subscribers and sell things to them and be able to fund my mission more easily. And that's true. But even before that happens, you get this this feeling like you're crystallizing your thinking. And and almost everybody's used that exact word. I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. And at the same time, uh, one of my friends who I get together with for lunch every month or so. Uh, He was raving about this book the last time we saw each other. And then last week he sent me the link to it. And it's called Weinberg on Writing by Jerry Weinberg. And he's got this Fieldstone method where he collects ideas constantly, which sounds exactly like what I do and other people do with their list. They have this capture phase. Like everybody's got this technique for capturing ideas for when they do have to sit down and write. And in the email where my friend sent me the link, he said uh, he was referring to some emails I had sent about the importance of writing. So uh, this is a long preamble, but but going back a little bit, um, we had an episode talking about why writing and speaking are important for authority-based businesses. One of the things was crystallize your thinking. He made the observation that um, he's like, I like the writing equals thinking thing. He goes, and if you if you roll in the old adage that writing is actually editing, then you could say editing equals thinking. And I was just like, Eureka moment. Mm. <laughs> that's that's the difference between just talking about your ideas all the time, even even if it's not on a podcast. So I talk to people constantly in Slack and on Zoom calls uh, for coaching. And it's not uncommon to trip over an interesting thought or a, a new nuance because the person's situation is unusual and come up with this like whole new potential rabbit hole to go down. But it's extremely rare, maybe once a year for me to, to, to just have crystal clarity right in the moment. I'll just be like, ooh, that's interesting. Maybe a diamond in the rough kind of idea. But then by writing about it over and over and refining the idea and and sort of chipping away all of the crufty stuff and the stuff that doesn't apply to everyone and all of that, you end up with this crystal, this diamond at the end. And I was like, that's it. That's the difference between writing and speaking in terms of crystallizing your thoughts. I've never heard anybody say that speaking crystallizes their thoughts. No. No, in fact, I to speak, one would hope that your thoughts are crystallized before. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, too, is that it, it's it's really a plus for introverts, right? Because you don't have to talk to a million people to do this. You go inside, right? And you start to really think about, and this is a solo exercise at the beginning, right? Because you're taking your idea and you're writing it out and then you're editing. Um, yeah, I, I like the... 
I like the solo nature of the front end. Obviously, it can't stay solo or it's not going to do anybody any good. But as you're honing it, um, you know, you've got a place to to start and, and polish it. Yeah, and I think doing that process only once a week, like the night before you're supposed to ship it, <laughs> is, <laughs> is not, a, not enough. Like another thing that has happened on these interviews I've been doing is that uh, several people have observed that it is easier to do daily because it does something weird in your head where you start to see ideas everywhere. You're tripping over ideas everywhere for some reason that your your brain is just like, well, I've got a deadline and it's today. So it's almost like you're always on deadline, which might sound intimidating, but it's it becomes really fun, you know, very, very quickly. Most folks are, are telling me, you know, between after about a month or two into the process, then that that auto idea detector turns on and they just have more ideas than they can handle. You know, they just mm-hmm. start to have a list that they'll never catch up to of interesting ideas that still need to be honed down. And the, the beauty of the email list as a publishing channel for your writing is that there's a million, there's a bunch of reasons, a dozen reasons probably why it's really cool, but... Uh, doing it every day allows you, to, you know, you can publish it. It goes to a bunch of people who then can privately reply reply to you. So it's not this performative comment like on a blog. Mm-hmm. And they can really get into it, ask you to explore it. They help you edit it into the next email. And then if you need to, you can do like a, a series where you've got this, you're like, ah, there's something here. I'm not sure what it is. And, you know, send out a, almost like a weather balloon. It's like a test test idea, test version of the idea, and then you get feedback and you refine it. And, and this iterative process oh, that happens every yeah. day, it's incredible. Yeah, I'm just thinking you do that. Like I I often can, I'll see an email from you and I'll go, oh, I think this is the start of a theme. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll see four or five. And other times it's just a trial balloon and I don't see anything more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think of them as arcs. Like I can tell, um, sometimes I do those very consciously and other times I'll just sort of like throw a grenade and then the shrapnel comes back and I'm like "Mm, let me let me try and tune that up a little bit or clarify what I meant my favorite thing about the list is when I get a bunch of useful thoughtful feedback about something that seemed clear to me but then obviously it wasn't because people are like wait a minute what (laughs) Mm -hmm. and doing that for years you start to you start to be able to predict you know if i'm if i'm talking to a particular kind of person i have like a dozen buttons i can press like i know the words to use to communicate the idea given the person's situation because it's so boiled down yeah yeah and some of that is a function of time i don't mean like time alone will get you there but that's the experimental piece of this, right, is you've been focused on a topic, a big idea, a revolution for how many years now? Oh, uh, 2006. So okay. what's that? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 15, so years. yeah, and obviously, it doesn't have to take that long. I mean, you got there before now. But I think that the other piece of this is that you can't just try to put the work out there, you have to do it consistently, because it's that consistency that is really that tests us to Mm -hmm. see, you know, what do we have to say? How deep can we go? How many cases can we make for the right people? And how can we engage others in these ideas of ours? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I'm curious how, if there was a different flavor of this when you went through the editing editing process on your book. Because hmm. I had, I had a, the only time I had a sort of professional editor was when I was doing software books. And it, it was amazing. I mean, they, you know, you'd think like, oh, this is, this is, this is the way I want it to read. And then it, the edits come back and you're like, wow, that's like a real book. That sounds so good. <laughs> Still sounds like me, but it sounds real. Um, so, but those were software books. It feels, a, it, it wasn't a book about ideas. It was, it was a cookbook more like, you know, so I'm more, yeah. with yours, I wonder if you had like how fully formed, like, was it already, you already brought a bag of diamonds to the party and you were really more worried about the the flow of it or or did did the editors come back with anything that was like really eye-opening yeah well I you know I I like to think maybe it was a bag of diamonds but I also was worried it was a big bag of coal I just didn't (laughs) know and you know in handing a book which is not like a blog post or a thousand even a thousand word article off to someone who's a professional editor who does this and sees this all the time is a little intimidating. But yeah, the, the feedback I got was both, there's a lot of diamonds here and you need to reorganize this. And the, the biggest piece of feedback, that constructive feedback that I remember was, because I, it took a long time to fix, is that I had this workbook idea, but I had, the, I had a lot of it in the text for the book. And she said, there are places where it makes sense but other places you need to take it out. Well, the problem is if I took it out, it was like, I'm trying to remember how many words now, 12,000 words, you know, which was like a third of the book. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. like, what am I going to write? So yeah, in that sense, yeah, that was like, I I honestly didn't know what else. I felt like I, like I bled out on the paper already. (laughs) And so what I was supposed to do then was reel back, you know, kill off the darlings, as some famous author said, kill off your darlings. Um, But no, it wasn't that because we were keeping the stuff that was going into the workbook. It was just going into a different place. So now I had to add. And that was, I think it was harder because I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to have to write that much more. So if it was 12,000 words, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the number. I do remember I didn't write that many more words. I think it was like net something like 8,800 more words after I took out a few things and, and big chunks of the of the workbook. Mm. So yeah, but it, it was, it definitely was a very collaborative. I, I was very happy with my editor and she wasn't afraid to tell me if she thought something didn't work, which, you know, I, I appreciate it. That's what, it's what an editor is for. Sure. And so when you think editing equals thinking, especially when you have an outside editor, I mean, man, I mean, there were, there were a couple things that, um, she told me to rearrange. And I, I think one of them had to do with the, um, was it the business and revenue model or the point of view? I can't remember which now, but one of them, I took her advice and it reads so much better, like mm. so much better. And, you know, the only time I didn't take her advice was really when it was more about my voice because she was not a, she was not a proofreader. She was really, you know, a copy editor. And so there were a few places where I, she would make it more formal and more and I didn't like that. So there were, but when I look at the whole document, I think maybe there were five or six things that she wanted me to change that I didn't. I, mm-hmm. I mean, 
pretty amazing for collaboration, I think. Cool. So it's it doesn't sound to me like you had any any there was no level where she reworded something or suggested rewording and you were like, oh, that's that gets the idea across better. Like she helped you make a better book, it sounds like. And it doesn't sound like your thinking changed about anything. So maybe is that fair to say? I, I would say my thinking didn't change, but the way I said it absolutely did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was part of her contribution to the to the manuscript. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I had, with Hourly Billing is Nuts, I did a sort of crowdsourced model where I offered a choose-your-own-adventure kind of uh, discount structure where there was a 100% off coupon that you could use to get the book, but I was going to bug you relentlessly for, <laughs> you know, questions typos any kind of feedback comments questions and that that sort of thing so and i I had you know it was funny i I, it's probably on my my uh list archive somewhere the actual numbers because i remember tabulating it but it was something like if a hundred people i think 500 people were on my list at the time and something like you know only 20 people you know let's say let's say 50 people bought it immediately something like like 10% 10% of that took advantage of the 100% off coupon, right? Which I thought was really mm-hmm. cool. You know, and they did, I, I, the next day I got a spreadsheet back from someone, <laughs> a spreadsheet <laughs> with like page numbers and like great, really good catches. So that's a very honorable person. <laughs> I, yeah, really everybody was, it was impressive, you know, like everyone could have gotten the book for free, but a bunch of people were like, no, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to be on the hook for edits or, uh, or whatever, whatever they were thinking, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it, it's cool. It's like a, it's a funny example of value pricing at work in a sense where they're like, no, I'd rather not be bugged relentlessly. I'll, I'll spend the $49 to be left alone or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do not want to have to be looking for typos when I'm reading. Right. Yeah. yeah my, and, and the reason, I, well, one reason why I did that was because I was, it was just sort of a, I was in a, a just effing ship it process because I had, I had was working with a mastermind group and I was like, had said I was going to publish a book. And I was like, every, you know, every week I was like, nope, not yet. Not. It's like, all right, finally, I was like, all right, you know, it's going live warts and all. I'll fix it in post as they say. And, uh, and that was great, but it was, I was somewhat inspired. So I had the deadline and the mastermind people kind of holding me to it. But I also previously had the experience of, uh, I think my first O'Reilly book, they had this uh, rough cuts. Oh, see, there's the metaphor again. Um, mm-hmm. Rough cuts uh, a program that I don't know if people bought into it or what the deal was, but there was a, a select group of people in this rough cuts readers program. And every time I finished something, when I was done writing for the day, I would check it into the version control system and a script would run that turned it into a website that was actually kind of like an early version of Medium where, yeah, you could highlight so that the the rough cut readers could come in, log in, and they'd get an alert that a new chapter was up and they could log in and and highlight a passage and ask a question about it right in the margin on the, in the Mm -hmm. web browser. It was really cool. And wow was that helpful even though even though it wasn't an ideas book like i said still the process of getting that feedback pretty much in real time you know within 24 hours anyway instead of you know writing a whole book and and just getting errata for you know because these are printed you know so mm-hmm. it would you really want it to be right you really want it to be good 
and you, you know you want it to be useful to people and the word will spread and more people buy it hopefully but even though it wasn't in an ideas book, I was like, wow, that was amazing. It like, like the, you know, some just totally stuff I missed, just dumb stuff I missed. Someone would be like, well, how do we, how do we get to here? And like, oh, I forgot to tell them about the middle step or, or whatever, <laughs> you know? So it's just so great. And to pull it back to idea type stuff, if writing a daily list kind of feels that way. It, it feels a little bit like that where mm. every day, I, I get feedback on my articulation of an idea, you know, so if I, if I put it in a way that's useful or, or just confusing people, or I'm just confusing a type of person or someone in a particular situation, like a, a brandy new freelancer is going to need to hear the idea in a much different way than someone who's a grizzled veteran and and is wor- is not worried about keeping the lights on is more worried about their impact or legacy even mm-hmm. so it's just a completely different way to potentially express the exact same idea actually let me ask you about that so cuz you have both kinds of people in your audience mm-hmm. so do you consciously think about that as you're writing and kind of do some for newbies and some for people who've been around or how do you think about that when you write for your daily yeah, I definitely do think about that. I, I try to talk about things in a way that's broadly applicable. So really, um, I don't know if high level is the right way to put it, but but the the sort of abstraction of the idea, but you have to make it real somehow also. So that was one of my, my, my sort of challenges when I first came across Seth Godin's writing. You know, so it's, oh, this, these emails are amazing. And a lot of them were just like a fortune cookie. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it, it took a while for, for him to hit a home run with me on that list. All of a sudden I was like, oh, and then a whole bunch of stuff clicked. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, publicly have said, like when I started my daily list, I was 100% copying Seth Godin's style and approach, like real short. Um, he's changed over time. But if you go back back then to 2016 or 12 or even earlier, there was a lot of really short, pithy kinds of messages but one thing I did not want to copy was just that sort of the the real inscrutable ones where I'd like to use an example to kind of like bring it home, you know? So, so like I'll, a lot of times I'll have like the idea, the concept, like, like scope last, you shouldn't be scoping in a sales meeting. You should be trying to estimate the value, create some prices that are a fraction of the value and then scope last once you've got a dollar amount to fit your work inside of, it's like a budget almost. And then people are just like, uh, okay, I get the, the comment is always like, I understand what you're saying conceptually, but how would I actually how? do that? Right. So, so yeah. to your question, I'll use examples from people who are in different places, maybe probably almost never all in the same email, but I'll bring in examples or I'll, I'll, I'll ask for permission to reprint a, a question from someone who's in a situation and and the idea being that there'll be a non-trivial portion of the list will be in a similar situation. And so they can see how my answer would apply to that person. And then, and then it's not, it's not too conceptual or, or hand wavy or theoretical. They can say, Oh, 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 okay. And then they can, once they have that, it's almost like the, it's almost like they need an order of magnitude. Like at what level should I be applying this advice to my business? And then when they see it applied, they're like, oh, okay, they get the level, the altitude of it correct. So like, like people, people 
not, not confuse, but they'll take two ideas, two things I talk about, like product, you know, creating info products is one idea and then value pricing. And they'll be like, well, how do I value price info products? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you don't, you, you know, that's, they're applying this high level concept to something too small. It's, it needs to be higher up in the, the, the business. It's higher, it's more strategic, it's higher level up in the business. It's kind of hard to describe, but yeah. when you see an example, then it usually clicks for people. They're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I don't value price like, probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't value price a product I service the way that I would value, I certainly wouldn't do it the way that I do projects because that would remove the whole point of having a product I service. Mm-hmm. And I certainly wouldn't do it with product, although people do do that. Um, I just wouldn't. So I don't know if I you know, there, the question, there's a word yeah. you used that was kind of interesting, um, inscrutable with, with <laughs> and let's, let's pick on Seth and, you know, and I, I, I love his stuff generally, but that's a very specific thing to him and to his brand is those, ex- you don't see the examples, you see right. the higher level idea only. And so part of this is, you know, what is it that you want to teach? What's the revolution you want to have happen? If your revolution is, I want to make people think before they market, that could maybe be the inscrutable approach. But if it's, I want them to be successful when they market, then that's going to have a lot more of a how-to. So I think right. that ties as well to you know what it is that you want to deliver to your people ultimately. I I could see myself ending up in a in more inscrutable land if I had an audience. You know, if I was if I had a million people on my mailing list, it would probably become overwhelming to give specifics because there would just be you know you'd get ten thousand replies that are like, mm-hmm. but that won't work for me because this, so how should I do it? And I mean, I can imagine a, a level where you need to get all Confucius on the list because it, it's like just for practical reasons. But that said, it was something that I definitely, I consciously wanted to avoid. I definitely did not want to be like that. And, 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 and therefore I get the kind of feedback that allows me to refine the ideas for, uh, different tracks of people. So for just to use a really obvious example, uh, at one point I went on like an architecture podcast and then a whole bunch of architects ended up on the list, which is like, I mean, I guess you could say, well, I was a software architect, so, but it's, it's completely not the same thing. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it is not the same thing. And to make things click with them, it wouldn't probably be very successful to talk about instantiate things in a software metaphor because mm-hmm. it just yep. it's not going to automatically resonate so um i don't know if i guess it's certainly refining the ideas i don't know if it's edited i don't know if i call it editing since that's the topic but but it's certainly to your point about like different people on the list or different people in the audience uh, i do like to have a, a big bag of tricks when i go on like a design show or like say an architecture podcast or a show for cpas to, to have examples from their world, but I, those are just a collection of metaphors and examples and things like that, that uh, I'll, I'll pull out for appearances like that. But I, I don't know, I don't know if I'd call that editing. That's more like, that's more like gathering, gathering rocks or something and like having all these little treasures yeah. ready to go. That Well, yeah, I think of that in two ways. And one is having those ready to go just generally when you're at a certain point and, and 
being on a podcast tour for your book is a good example of that, right? So you can, how do I talk about this topic in front of architects? How do I talk about it in front of developers? You know, so you have, you have those. But I think the other thing just very specifically is when you are doing any kind of a media appearance, and I include podcasts that have an audience of, of one, right, is there's that research, or, or let's call it preparation, that preparation piece, so that you're a good guest, because that's your obligation, right? As, as this expert, as this authority, you want to be a good guest. You want to provide value to their audience. So to me, that's who's in the audience, what are they most interested about, what are their hot buttons, and what's the bridge to your topic or your thing and where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And that's, I mean, that's the fun part. I was thinking about that when you were talking about, um, you know, coming up with words when you're speaking. I used to get, back in my big firm days, I I was a regular media source. And I am not a good quipper, okay? I am not Q-U-I-P. I am not, like, funny on command. If I'm funny, it's a total and complete accident and surprise. So, but, but what I would do for those interviews is I would make them tell me what they wanted to talk about first. And I always made sure I had at least 15 minutes before knowing what it is and having to actually talk about it. And I would sit there and just bullet point what I thought was important. And then in the moment, having the conversation with the journalist, who, by the way, are really some of the sharpest people around. I mean, they get stuff, they cut through BS really fast. And so some of those quotes would come from the conversation. I didn't think about them ahead of time. Um, If, you know, if I could, I suppose, but I've never did it consciously because I thought it was more important to understand the story and be in the moment. But there's that preparation piece that I think can give you those ideas, those those unpolished gems that you can then take and and polish through editing. Absolutely, yeah. Like whenever I have a an occasion to go through, I don't know, like it could be editing a whole bunch of old podcasts or um, uh, or like like for example, for this daily email thing. I'm going to go, I haven't edited anything. I'm going to go back and edit them all in like one big batch. And I'm sure I'm going to hear a ton <laughs> of, you know, when I listen to them back to back, it's going to yeah. be tons of stuff. Um, or yeah. what? Oh, here's another one. Classic one is someone, I'll record a podcast that has a really long lead time. And then like a month later, maybe longer, the host will get back to me and say, oh, good news. Your podcast is live if you want to share it anywhere. And I'll go back. I always, pretty much always listen to them to decide whether or not I want to share it, (laughs) (laughs) to be honest. I hear you. You know, it's like, oh, did I, did I, the most painful is like when I'm, when I mean one word and say another one and no one catches it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. but uh, anyway, um, (laughs) it happens. So. I had, I had one of those where um, I thought I knew what the topic was. I had it in writing that we had agreed. And when we got on, he seemed to think that I was an expert in like hiring employees for large organizations. And I'm like, mm. uh, like I, I don't know. I really don't think you want my advice on this. <laughs> that one never saw the light of day on my end. Yeah. But so the cool thing is, though, it, you, hopefully, you know, dear listener, if you're guesting on podcasts, hopefully you pick the right words. Uh, but but it's it's. 
since you're it's a performance there's some pressure you're on on mm -hmm. on and you're really listening and you're trying to formulate your reply in a in a way that's going to make sense uh none of it like we could hang up the phone and 15 minutes later i wouldn't remember a thing i said yes <laughs> You know, exactly. I won't remember the name of the show, probably like it, it's just like I'm it's you're just on and you go into the tunnel vision. It's just like it's exactly like being on stage for me. Like it's the same kind of like or or, or like a black belt exam or any of these tests. Like it's a performance. You're in the moment. You're so in the moment. And I, I always sort of calm myself down in those scenarios by like, look, you're not going to get better right now. The, the whatever preparation you did is the preparation you did mm -hmm. and your performance is going to reflect your preparation so there's no reason to be nervous but that sort of like frontal cortex is just like firing like crazy and listening listening back though i've actually had the i've actually had the experience of being like oh that was pretty smart <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> that's a good way to put that you know I, other times yeah. I'm like, wow, I didn't even answer that person's question. I just went off on a tangent, you know, so it's good and bad, but it's a great opportunity. It's, you know, if you do kind of like trip over a diamond in the rough in one of these, you know, cause you'll, you'll in a hour long podcast, that's like 10,000 words. So you can pick through there and say like, oh, that's a really good idea. Like I could do that. I could do an arc on my list with that idea or to develop it more deeply. It's like a really good source of things that you could then edit down into something a little bit more refined. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so true. Because you just, when you're on, it's like being in a, in a panel too, if you're like in, I won't call it a speech, but let's say you're at a conference and you're a member of a panel and there's somebody asking questions or the audience and they're directing things to you. It's, you are so hopefully in flow, in the moment, all your senses are there. And I just think when you've already done a lot of the work, that is when some of the gems can come up and you surprise yourself, you know, that you said totally. something like, oh my God, I never thought about it that way, but it works. <laughs> yeah, it, th yeah, that's also why I like the speaking and the writing. I've, for me and, and the clients I've worked with, it's the combination Right, because you can write and even share that writing all you want, but there's a different part of the brain that lights up when you speak. And I don't just mean like on a stage; I just mean like even speaking, like we are right now to each mm -hmm. other, to one other person. Yeah, even if and even if it's not public, you know, obviously there's privacy yeah. concerns. But you know, if if you're just having like a coaching call with somebody, or in a mastermind, or some kind of live Q and A, or roundtable, or hot seat, anything like that. You can, I guess, I guess the thing that's that how this is relevant to this episode is that it's almost impossible in those situations to capture the idea without wrecking the energy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm, yes, it's, yes. it's real tricky to be. You can't like you're in a panel at a conference. You're not going to be like, oh, that's a great idea. Hold on, everybody. I'm just going to whip out a <laughs> note card. Pull out your phone. Note to self, you know, feed the mayonnaise to the fish and then keep, you know, get back. Mayonnaise? That's, <laughs> okay. that's a deep cut. Somebody will get it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm just going to trust you on that. 80s movie reference. So if the, the problem, okay, so the problem is that you can't capture the idea in those moments. But if, if, if you can, if you can jot down a note, you know, maybe it's a call where you're not, the cameras aren't on. One of the reasons I, I like doing calls with the camera off. Um, or 
you've got a recording of it because it's a podcast episode. Mm -hmm. That can give you a mountain of ideas that can be edited down into something something more refined and clearer and and to back it all the way up to the beginning and that's what crystallizes your thinking so on the spot you said something you were able to respond in a way that was useful to the host or the audience but later it's like boy i really could have said that better or answered the question more directly uh, that's that's a classic one with me i'll just like answer five questions and, like that they didn't ask to you know leading up to the one or something mm-hmm. it's just like okay so going back and kind of having a post-mortem on your own in the moment performance and pulling the the any new ideas out or even old ideas that you really feel like you should you should at this point I should be able to say this in 10 words and not 100 you know and kind of boil yeah. it down for next time yeah and having that daily list gives you a way to to exercise that muscle, that editing muscle. And, and since it's this daily practice, it just cements the concept in your brain in a way that I, I don't know how anything else, I don't know any other way that that could happen. Yeah, the people that you interviewed used, you know, some form of the word crystallized. And I think it's, it reminds me a little bit of meditation where you're clearing a channel, right? And in this case, you're, you, you know exactly what you what you're thinking about a thing and what you can say and what you can't say to help people understand it it just clears all the calcifications out mm-hmm. of there and it's it's clear you know that that air or energy whatever you know you want to however you want to think about it moves through and all the stuff that gets in the way between you and your ideal clients and buyers your, your audience goes away mm-hmm. it's a clear channel yeah. In fact, funnily enough, one of the people I'm interviewing calls it his daily meditation. Mm, yeah. 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 I could see that. Cool. All right. So what's the takeaway here? Um, you know, if you're on this authority path, you've got an expertise-based business. I guess we're just going a little bit deeper into the importance of writing and speaking and with specific emphasis on the editing pass. Yes. Being that's your opportunity to really really crystallize your thinking and make it just like a diamond, like just this little jewel that you can give to people. <laughs> and it just and you and you never run out. It just keeps keeps on giving. Well, yeah, and I think it's important because we all have have people in our inboxes that are selling us things. And they're telling us stories about how their service or product changed lives and all that. Um but what we're talking about here is we are trying to teach something. And yes, we're also selling, you know, I'm not saying don't sell, but when you see kind of the slickness of a lot of stuff in the inboxes, um, it can be easy to go, oh, I better be more slick. I better not have, you know, depth underneath this. And one of the points here is that's what editing does for you, is it has the depth right? From your expertise, from the authority that you're building. But it also has that, I'm going to call it smoothness for want of a better word or clarity, right? So you get the clarity from this, from all the slick stuff that you see, but there's an underpinning. You are not an empty suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're me, you just don't even bother with yeah, the I was, slick stuff. I was thinking that as I said that, <laughs> I was like, I know that's going to be his next comment. <laughs> Exactly. No suit for me. Nope. Uh, cool. Well, I, I feel like we've we've uncovered all of the important stuff here. Is there anything we've left out? 
No, I'm just so happy the cement driver went away. So we had some quiet for a little while. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, my garbage truck decided to come by. But hey, what are you going to do? Hey, part of the charm. Yeah, exactly. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>